Welcome to the Barrel Room Chronicles. I'm Carrie Moynihan, a certified bourbon steward, former bartender, and all-around whiskey aficionado. I travel the world to explore whiskey from every avenue. For the last 20 years, I've been helping others tell their stories through television, film, and other media. But now, I'm taking my love for whiskey and my experience in the entertainment industry to uncover the fascinating stories of the water of life. So kick off your shoes, pour yourself a dram, and join me for this episode of Barrel Room Chronicles. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. It's free. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It is five o'clock somewhere and you've tuned in to episode three of BRC. Today in our Tales from the Still segment, I speak with Andy Ferris and Jeff Murphy of J.K. Williams Distillery. And later in the show, I'll speak with Chef Louise Leonard in today's World of Wheezy. But first up is Dram Diaries. Stay with us. Over 100 years ago, Peoria, Illinois, was the whiskey capital of the world and home to more than 73 distilleries. Legend has it that the tax on distilled spirits produced in Peoria alone accounted for nearly half the revenue of the entire federal government at its time. Therefore, it's easy to say that whiskey was a very big deal in Peoria. Many wealthy distillers and brewers lived there, funding projects that built landmarks that you can still visit today. One such distiller was J.K. Williams, whose recipes helped Peoria earn recognition for not only a large quantity of product, but also the quality of the whiskey it produced. But as we all know, things changed drastically in the spirits industry in 1920 when the 18th Amendment prohibited the production and sale of alcohol. Williams was one of the many distillers who moved his operations into the backwoods, continuing to produce and sell quality whiskey despite the harsh penalties during Prohibition. He continued his operation for a number of years, but eventually, fearing gangsters like Al Capone, he left his backwoods operation and moved his family to Decatur. Nearly a hundred years later, his great-grandsons discovered the family's whiskey recipes and created J.K. Williams Distilling, a modern-day homage to the golden age of whiskey in Peoria. However, just before the COVID pandemic hit in 2019, the Williams family sold the distillery to Andy and Stacy Ferris, who proudly continue to make the brand's whiskey using the original recipes first created by J.K. Williams. Up next in Tales from the Still, we speak with owner Andy Ferris and master distiller Jeff Murphy about their journey and their plans to keep the J.K. Williams legacy alive. Stay with us. Well, hello, gentlemen. I have the pleasure of speaking today with the owner and master distiller at J.K. Williams Distilling. Uh, Andy Ferris is the owner. Say hi, Andy. Hi, Andy. Hi, Carrie. And then Jeff Murphy is the master distiller. Hi, Jeff. Hello, Carrie. How are you doing? I'm great. So uh, as we always start out, I wanted to, to talk to you guys about your whiskey journeys. Now, Andy, I was reading your bio. I don't see much whiskey in, involved in your bio. I you, drank you a lot the, of whiskey. Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> I and see was you were an, heavily in the, in the yeah, IT world. Was very much uh, and worked for a, a British networking company for 15 years. And so I started to started really on single malt that I, I, I loved and it's evolved into a love of bourbon 
and other American whiskey. And so, um, but it started with really being exposed to single malts um, in the UK and in Europe. Okay. And so how did being um, an IT guy, how did you take that leap into turning your career into the president of J.K. Williams Distilling? When you when you spend 35 years at, at doing the same thing and you get a little burned out, you start think you start dreaming about other avenues that might that but might what you be, really want to do when you grow right, up. You start going, the runway is getting limited. This might be more fun. So they said this will be fun. <laughs> <laughs> so and in any, so, oh, go ahead. No, so I I just. I started looking into starting a distillery and, and really knew nothing. And Jeff may say, I still know nothing, but, but I, I do. I mean, I, I, I knew a fair bit about um, the industry and had a little bit of background. I was on the board of directors of a, of a craft brewery in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, so I knew a little bit about the um, alcohol industry, but really did not have any of the pieces put together. And I was just looking around, I was at a uh, mergers and acquisitions uh, conference in Minneapolis in 2015 and about the distilling industry. And my name was on a list and I got contacted at some point about this opportunity to acquire a distillery. That's, it started at, at, towards the end of 2017 and wow. uh, a lot of stops and starts. And I, I we ended up um, acquiring this in April of 2019. Wow. How fun. So uh, when you acquired it, what stage was the distillery in when you received it? Well, it was on hiatus. So the owners had, um, I, I affectionately call it run out of gas, but they, they had some health problems, they had families, they had full-time jobs. And um, we, I saw a lot of potential. There was a lot of um, inventory there. I saw an opportunity to rebrand it. And um, it was really built to be a boutique with not a lot of expansion capability. And so our original concept was let's, let's, let's see what, what does this look like? Reimagined? Who do we need? Um, and how can it be a multi-state and a regional kind of powerhouse in the future? What do we need to get there? And so uh, that took a lot of planning and a lot of, you know, we, Acquired in April of 2019. We didn't launch until relaunch. The company never went out of business. Um, it was just on hiatus, stopped production. So um, we relaunched with products in the market um, a year ago, October. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And then, Jeff, you seem to have uh, a bit more of the distilling and brewing background. Um, I see that you were a Navy man. And... Um, there's something about a five-gallon fermenter that you were doing at work. It was actually, or it was actually a, a, a brew, brew in a bag. It was a burlap bag type thing, and you just poured hot water in it, and it went through the grains and then fermented in the bottom. And I had that hanging in my locker. Uh, <laughs> you know, when I read that in your bio, I, I was just I started laughing because I just was watching an old episode of Mash, and uh -huh. it was the one right after Radar left the show and BJ Honeycutt goes nuts and he breaks the still and Hawkeye was like, what are you doing? Broke the still. <laughs> what have you and, done? I, and I thought, I'm like, oh God, sacrilege. How dare he? <laughs> so when I saw that you were a Navy man making your own stuff, I was like, oh yeah, it's like mash. Yeah. Yep. It was a lot of fun. It was a stress reliever when I was doing it back then. And 
end up being a career. So, so how did you take this this five gallon fermenter in your locker and turn it into a career in whiskey? I guess you know what fascinated me the most was you know in the mid nineties in the craft brew industry. Uh, you know, one of them, the one that really got me started was Pete's Wicked Ale. Back then, it was only seasonal; it only came out in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a, a brown ale, if I remember right. And uh, I grew up drinking, well, illegally drinking. We'll, we'll go down a path, but you know, you know, the, the <laughs> cheap stuff, you know, Keystone and Schlitz and stuff like that. And uh, I went down to the hydroplane races in San Diego when I was stationed out there. And the Marines, a couple of Marines were uh, doing their uh, their table, volunteering to, to sell beer. And I tried to go up there with my military ID and they saw that I was, you know, underage and they, they're like, I was 20 at the time. And so close, you know, that close. Right, right. Um, and uh, we were able to drink on base. We just couldn't drink off base. So anyway, long story short, as they started sneaking me, they found out I was a hospital corpsman. They started, you know, passing me, selling me beers and said, just don't get drunk, you know, here's, and so, but I taste that stuff and it was really, really good. And that kind of got my start. So whenever I had the chance, uh, whenever I was uh, stationed someplace where I could get the supplies, I'd try to do it. So. Very cool. Uh, Guam was a little bit difficult. So was Hawaii at the time. Um, craft beer wasn't really big out right. there in those necks in the, in the early 90s, mid 90s. So, and then uh, we moved back to Maryland. Uh, I took it up more full time when I was a police officer. And as a stress reliever, chased my wife and the kids out of the house. They didn't like the smell. So it was just me and the dog <laughs> doing beer on the weekends. Nice. And, uh, and then we got transferred to Singapore. Uh, that's where it became a career. So I was brought on as a assistant brewer scrubbing floors and wait you were a cop and you got transferred to singapore well my wife was still in the military so okay (laughs) it's like how does that work yeah no so we we did seven years in maryland and six of those five and a half of those were police officer out there and then uh so we got to singapore that's how i started i got hired on i was in the brew club and a little brew pub down there i lost their assistant brewer and i was the one that came in with samples to taste you know my home brew and you know, he took me across the street and said, let's go for a walk and <laughs> went to the owner said, I want him. So nice. You know, so, so I did that in brewing in Singapore for a few years and then a little bit in, in Texas when we got back from Singapore and then I jumped into distilling uh, in San Antonio. Okay. So how long ago was San Antonio? Uh, that was 2010. Okay. So, so 11 years. Yeah. 11 years distilling and, you know, three, I, I was looking for a brew pub temporarily in, in San Antonio. So, I, you know, 14, 15 years of brewing, between brewing and distilling, I should say. Um, now, when I was at Rebecca Creek there, we started doing vodka, re, uh, rectifying vodka, and then basically single malt whiskey. And I was doing it from a point of view of a craft brewer. So I was already mixing the grains together and everything else, trying to get different flavor profiles. And I really only made one batch there before uh, they changed their plan. They didn't want to be a from scratch distillery more they want to just be a blending company so just want to buy it and blend it which is fine um so then i moved to rum went to massachusetts did rum for a year and then before coming here i was in louisiana running louisiana spirits um for the last eight years last two years as uh, uh operations director and then uh as production manager basically for the six years before that so and now i'm here so how did Andy find you or how did you find Andy? How did this uh, was, relationship come to be? Hey, it's that commercial indeed. So, you know, it was during the pandemic, you know, I was already 
trying to find an avenue out of, you know, still, uh, Louisiana Spirits got bought out by Stoli Group. Uh, and after, you know, a year and a half or so of the uh, corporate life, I was burning out myself and didn't want to be part of that anymore. So I was trying to find a way out. And then COVID happened. So with all the cutbacks and everything else, um, I was just sitting at home and, and when things were starting to open up, I started looking for jobs and went to a few around the U.S. And uh, Andy and his wife, his wife, Stacy, uh, you know, they interviewed me a couple of times on Zoom. And then, you know, he said, why don't you come up and bring your wife with you? You know, I want to make sure she approves as well. Um, she and my wife's from Kansas. I'm from Arizona. So there's direct flights from here to Phoenix. And there's you now we're eight hour drive to Kansas to her family over there. So it was just kind of worked out. We like the Midwest feel. So, and they, you know, the, the story of JK Williams and the history of Peoria, um, everything's there to relaunch it. It's not like you're starting a brand from scratch. There's already, already a, a history there that we could work with. So, uh, that was, that was a lot of the, the reason to come up here. And also, you know, when I first came up for the interview, in person, it's like, let's taste the juice to make sure I have something good to work with to start versus trying to fix something that had a problem. And they were making excellent products when they were open. So oh, that's awesome. So when did they originally open and how long were they originally, uh, how big did they get before so you guys took over? They were, they were operating off, uh, when we say small batch, um, you know, this was a 60 gallon pot still. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, really small. Now, uh, I'll, We'll talk about this in a little bit about our, our future, what we've got on order and the large system that we've got coming in. But um, it really was small batch and and they started in 2012 and really by uh, 2017, you know, they were they were looking to move on from from this. And I think it's pretty impossible to have a full time job and and do this um, you know, on a limited scale and also have any expandability capabilities. So the, the, the possibilities were limited. So again, um, what, what I saw is exactly what Jeff saw was a legitimate story with a very rich history of distilling here in Peoria, um, that again, just kind of reimagined and relaunched, um, with the goal being to reestablish Peoria as a um, renowned whiskey making uh, center, as it was back in its heyday prior to prohibition when it was the whiskey capital of the world. So, so tell me, let's tell everybody a little bit more in depth about J.K. Williams and why he's so important. So J.K. Williams is a, um, is a central figure as a legitimate guy, not a, fictional character, um, like some other brands, I won't name them. Um, but a legitimate guy, he was a distiller, worked for some of the big distilleries in town. When prohibition came around, he had a family to support and he turned to bootlegging and, um, continued bootlegging quietly until he ran afoul of the criminal element, uh, oh, here no. in Peoria, which included the infamous O'Neill brothers, but also Al Capone ran a huge bootlegging operation through Peoria, right up the Illinois River to Chicago and the rail systems. And uh, it was really an amazing uh, time. Uh, the stills 
probably the big commercial ones stop, but certainly not the uh, the bootlegging operations. N- not the sixty gallon ones. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so um, he, J.K. Uh, with his nine children uh, and family, uh, eventually fled in the middle of the night to uh, Decatur. Uh, to get away from this. Oh, it's and like the sound of music. I know. I know. Well, pretty much. <laughs> did, did they sing too? Yeah. If they did, the Von Trapp family, the Von <laughs> Williams Andy, family. Whatever you do, don't ask Andy, Andy to sing, please. <laughs> <laughs> I take it you've heard him sing karaoke night? Unfortunately. <laughs> Regrettably. <laughs> and so, um, I, you know, the, the history here, though, is what really drew me to this. And like all great river towns, and this this town was built on uh, a bustling economy of corn, grain trade, and distilling. That's what built this town. Not not Caterpillar, as everyone might think, um, but really, the the town was built on on whiskey. So now the former owners did they so they chose the the J.K. Williams name. Um, I'm assuming that was not on the same site as anything that he had done. No, no. Um, and, and it was it was coincidence, but it's uh, John and Cassie and Jesse and anyway, they, but they they actually their initials were JK and the original great great grandfather was JK. So oh wow, it is it's a great coincidence. And you know our 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 view on it is. Um, they started a great foundation, and we really want to carry on the legacy of of the namesake of the company and make it um, as legitimate as possible, and not ever try to hoodwink the public with anything that isn't you know isn't real. Right. So, so let's talk a little bit about the whiskeys you have, um, Jeff. The I got one sample. Well, I got three samples, but they were all the same wheat, which I hear is the new one. Um, now, did you get to make this from scratch, or was this part of the the goods you took over? So we have three expressions. You have the American wheat whiskey, which is our our, our latest oh. one. The other two we have is a is Gold Zephyr Bourbon, and our Stormy River Rye. And those two are original juices that we got with the barrels that we procured with the with the buying of the, of the company. Uh, so the, what you're tasting now is an American wheat whiskey. This is part of our bridge series, which uh, is to, you know, there's four bridges that go over the Illinois River here. And then also it's going to bridge the gap between the lapses in production. They stopped production in the end of, middle of 2017. And we just started production back up again this year. So it's meant to bridge that gap. So this is a this is a blend of, of 16 barrels of our product and 16 barrels of a source product that we're blending, that we're blending together. Um, and so there are bourbons weeded as well. Uh, and then this is just a wheat whiskey that we got on the market and it's a very, uh, light. It's at 94 proof. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, I, I tell people if you're not, if you don't like the, the bite of bourbon or rye, then this is kind of a nice little, um, entry level light, I wouldn't say a light whiskey, but a, an easier sipping whiskey than a bourbon or a rye would be. I would have to agree with that. And, and I, I think one of the things, um, Jeff and I, uh, again, a very tough job here. We got to sample as we were looking to source, what are we going to blend with our American whiskey? We, we got a number of, a bunch of samples in, and you end up 
getting down to the point where you say, okay, what really is the best? And so Jeff blended, I don't know how many samples, but you know, we kept going back to this one saying this actually, this is the best. Yeah. And it ended up being this, this 95% wheat whiskey uh, blended. So it's 73% of the sourced wheat whiskey blended with 27% of our uh, American whiskey. And we think it's turned out terrific. It's very good. Yeah. Thank you. It's got a a Pappy-esque to it with the mm-hmm. hunt with the wheat and everything they did before was in small barrels so it was 23 and 30 gallon barrels is everything they did so it's 16 23 gallon barrels and you know 16 53 gallon barrels so that's why there's the the, the difference it's that's why it's not closer to 50 to 50 so that makes sense i was gonna say when you were talking about the best part of the job i have to agree because that's the best part of of, of my job um to get to (laughs) not only talk to all you great whiskey makers but to taste all the products um you know it's really great to be able to do this because especially during the pandemic when you know all the local club tastings and and the bars that would have tastings they you know couldn't really do it anymore or it would move online and then you had to ship stuff but then half the time you couldn't ship stuff and it just got so convoluted so it was kind of nice to um to be able to do this with it, with the makers it was a very difficult i mean you bring up a really good point how difficult yeah i guess had we known how difficult i'm not sure we'd be sitting here it was a really <laughs> incredibly difficult time to actually launch a product and the distributors had a horrendous 2020 probably most of them laid off staff and furloughed people and i think 2021 is still suffering from a little bit of a hangover from that as things return to some sense of normalcy but um you know looking back on it that's one thing we re- we really missed those cl- the clubs and that word of mouth it's really difficult to hit that type of demographic uh, because they're great. They're wonderful whiskey aficionados. And so to get those people um, and get that word of mouth because they're fervent followers of of new whiskeys. And so we kind of missed out on that. But we've built up a, uh, a, some great momentum here. And, you know, we're really excited about where, where we're headed. Well, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to help build that momentum right. and get the word out. In fact, I think we need to do a cheers to that. But I just ran out of my dram. So... <laughs> All right. Cheers to that, gentlemen. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Okay. So you have three whiskeys. Do you have other spirits or are you going to have other spirits? We will. Um, you know, we're, we're keeping the formulations of the Gold Zephyr bourbon and the, and the Stormy River rye, keeping those recipes the same because that's what the family passed down to us. Um, but as you know, it's, it's hard to be a one-trick pony to a certain extent. So, you know, there's plans to have single malt. Uh, there's plans to do some other variations of bourbon, you know, whether it's a uh, um, higher corn, uh, like ours is a weeded bourbon. Um, that's 80% corn, 10% wheat and 10% barley. And the rye is 90%, 80% rye, 90% rye, 90% rye, 10% wow. barley. So that's it's, rye. That's great. It is. Yeah. So, I mean, and, but, you know, then I have a great rum background as well. So I'll, you know, I'll be doing a rum, um, uh, some gins maybe on the side. But uh, I think really our, our goal, we're working off, as Annie was saying, the old equipment, which is a 60-gallon still. They had a 120-gallon still that never commissioned. So we got that up and running, too. And we only have one 240-gallon fermenter. So it okay. takes me two two weeks to basically make a barrel of, of spirits. Wow. 
That's, our new yeah, system, we're going to have four 1,000-gallon fermenters and a 1,000-gallon still. So with that, I'll be able to do that, and we'll have um, you know 10 to 12 barrels a week uh, versus a barrel every two weeks. Now, do you have everything on the same uh physical lot or do you have to have you know part of your distillery over here part of the tasting room over here i mean how does that how does that break down it's it's uh, i mean we're, we're so this is an old uh, dry clean facility so it's twenty thousand square feet right? okay so uh you know they had everything that we needed so everything was kind of a, a reclamation project to a certain extent they either uh couldn't find a place that had trench drains steam fire suppression you know, everything that we needed, plenty of water, plenty of power to, to do something like this. So as we'd always have to bring everything in. And then uh, I'd come up for a visit before and looked at a few places and we knew we were going to be spending a lot of money getting any of these. And then when I was moving up here, right before that, Andy goes, Jeff, I found this perfect place. Wait a minute. Uh, wait a minute. So this isn't even, this isn't the location that the previous owners had. You guys picked no, out no. this new place. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, there used to be an East Peoria and when they closed down, they subleased everything out. So everything was crammed into one side. So even if we wanted we had to stay about a here, quarter, Yeah, we had about a quarter yeah. of the original building in the original barrel room. Yeah. Oh, so wow. that's all we had in the end. And they'd already leased out, <laughs> already leased yeah. out the, you know, three quarters of the building. So we were and we really didn't want to stay there. I, we wanted some expansion capability. So right. Jeff and I spent quite a bit of time looking around. And I think Reclamation Project is an understatement. <laughs> some of the buildings we looked at, you know, the Peoria Industrial Riverfront had some gigantic um, warehouses, but they were legitimate Reclamation Projects. They're, they're, wow. just, it, no fire suppression, no anything. Right. And yeah, so, so everything, everything was here when we found this one and, and, uh, we just had to upgrade it. It hadn't been updated since the early eighties, probably. Oh, wow. So we had, to, we still had to spend a lot of money, significant money on, you know, updating the fire suppression, updating, um, we had, the boilers hadn't been used for a year or so. So I had to get those reinspected and move things around, but it had everything that we needed. So, um. It really was a big thought. catch for us. Yeah, it was good. Now, catch now I'm going to start looking for old dry cleaner places to <laughs> do my distillery. Well, it's halfway they, there. They, they got particularly hard hit, you know, during the pandemic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. We, I think we were all walking around in golf shorts and t shirts. Yeah, and I, I was, I went through a lot more PJs than, <laughs> yeah. There was no dry cleaning taking place, during, you know, during that time. And so I, I, I feel bad for the, that whole business. But uh, no, it did, we found this building it's in an industrial park but it actually has fit the fit the bill for what we needed uh quite nicely and that's so, perfect and it's got the expansion room that we needed so 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 far in this journey together with jk what has been your favorite part i th i think getting products to market was was our it, it was a thrill i mean jeff and i well we didn't have a bottling line so we had to uh we had to search around for a bottler and someone said, you should talk to the guys who make rum chata out of oh. Milwaukee. Uh, they've got a contract bottling uh, facility and they ended up bottling our, our first run of products. And wow. everyone in Illinois was making hand sanitizer um, <laughs> during that summer of 2020. Right. And so to see our products come off the line and then go, you know, introduce them to the public was, was really a lot of fun. And then, um, it, when the awards started rolling in, um, at the end of 2020, once we entered a couple of competitions and then 
it really carried on. It's carried on throughout 2021. I mean, amazingly. So we've been, you know, thrilled. It seems like every time we turn around, we've gotten some accolade and some recognition, which has just been great. And it wasn't, you know, as Jeff and I say, it's not about us. It's not Ferris or Murphy distilling. It's J.K. Williams. Right. It was really important for us to, again, reestablish Peoria as a a place that people go, hey, you know, check out that whiskey uh, if you can find right. it. Uh, we're only distributed in Illinois and Wisconsin today. So, you know, it's it's, it's been so really I'm, a, I'm one of the lucky Californians who get yes. to have some of this. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. Well, you know, I would definitely like to try the rye and the bourbon if you would we'll be get, so kind. We'll get you samples of that for sure. That'd be great. And our bourbon, um, we got best in state with the ACSA Heartland Whiskey Awards uh, on the bourbon. They give out uh, each one for a state in the Midwest. And then we just got uh, double, oh, nice. double gold best. on rye at the 50 best. Uh, they just had one of their rye tastings. And so that was cool to Very win cool. that. and. We're um, we're on severe allocation on the, on the rye, um, so it's, it's oh I it's, bet yeah when I it's bet. gone it is it's gone so it'll be a, it'll be a, a hundred mil instead of the uh... <laughs> you'll get the full no you'll get the full compliment yeah, nice Jeff says he's got a secret case or two stashed away somewhere I don't know where it is back in the speakeasy about. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I do find some very weird spots in here, though, because, you know, they, it's like I've, uh, it took me, this place was, I mean, for being a dry cleaners, they hadn't cleaned it themselves in about 30 years. <laughs> so I spent a, a couple months up in the rafters cleaning stuff. And I, it took me a solid month to actually see an ironing board stuck up in a wall um, wow. next to a girder. And I left it there just, you know, to remember, you know, remind of you know, <laughs> what this place used to be, you know, so. That's funny. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of, uh, nooks and crannies around here to yeah i love old stories especially uh you know bootleg era buildings where mm -hmm. you know they go to renovate it and they pull up the floorboards or they take down a wall and they find all kinds of crazy stuff well yep. we had you know going back to the history for a second um so we were the site of the world's largest whiskey distillery um the great western distillery was yeah. the largest uh in the world and when Hiram Walker, when Prohibition ended, Hiram Walker came in and acquired the uh, Great Western Distillery site and uh, started making. I always have a bottle on hand. Nice. Jeff and I are going to drink this soon. I'm not sure when, but this is Walker's Deluxe, distilled uh, eight years, or pardon me, aged eight years. But um, this actually has been cracked. But we're going to actually have a drink of this in the next. Uh, We'll maybe send you a little sample of this too and see how we. Oh can. wow! But, um, Fancy. Yeah, but we've uh, you know, Hiram Walker made a tremendous amount of whiskey out of here, and so um, and that site is now a an ethanol plant. They don't make whiskey there anymore. But I'm told oh, Jeff and I are yeah Jeff Jeff and I are hoping to tour that soon, and that I'm Although, told there's an old bar uh, from the turn of the last century. In oh, one wow. of the basements. Yeah. And all the wood carving. And so. Oh, yeah. yeah you have to send us pictures. That would be for awesome. Sure. They still have the old warehouses are still up in function. The rickhouses are still there in downtown wow. Peoria. It's amazing. That so, is cool. Yeah. We hope we hope that there's a way to repurpose those and have uh, barrel storage there at some point. But 
We'll see. I mean, hey, call them up. Say, we got some whiskey for those right. rooms. <laughs> right. There's de- These are giant buildings. There's definitely room. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for um, sharing J.K. Williams' story and your story about acquiring this wonderful product. Thank you. I'm very impressed. This, I love this wheat whiskey. That's Great. Really, thank really you good. so much, Carrie. I can't, I can't wait to try the rye and the bourbon and to see uh, the next few products that you guys roll out. I appreciate that awesome. very much. World of Wheezy is up next. Stay with us. If you like what you've seen on BRC, you'll love what's coming soon in the Barrel Room Parlor. As a member, you'll have exclusive access to various spin-off series, including The Cutting Room Floor and the Telly Award-winning series Kindred Spirits. To create your membership, visit www.barrelroomchronicles.com and click on Become a Member. Once you have chosen your membership level, you'll be able to enjoy all the extra content it has to offer. You'll even be able to participate with the show by commenting on videos and other posts. Don't wait. Sign up today for exclusive content in the Barrel Room Parlor. Hey, Louise, how are you doing today? I am good. How are you doing, Carrie? Good. It's so wonderful to have you on the new podcast, Barrel Room Chronicles. Moving on from Spirits of Whiskey, so we can continue this beautiful chat we like to do with all of these fun pairings and cooking outings that I'd like to do with you. Today, we are going to talk about J.K. Williams, which is just so fun that I, I really like that the guys over there are really trying to bring back, you know, it, it was the, the the whiskey capital of the world in Illinois before prohibition. And uh, I didn't even know that. So I'm really glad that they're trying to bring it back. And that wheat whiskey was great. What did you think? I loved it. And I was, yeah, I, I was reading a little bit about their history too. And it was fascinating. And I'm like, you know, I'm from Wisconsin. Those are, those are my homies just a little bit down South. I was like really excited to sample this whiskey. And then of course, when I was thinking about how I was going to pair it, I was like, oh my gosh, well, I have to do a version of a Chicago dog. I mean, nice. but a Peoria dog is what I'm calling it because really like a little bit of the sweetness that was kind of coming through with that, that with the weeded whiskey, I thought, oh man, you know, this would be really, really good with cooked onions. So just slow cooked caramelized onions with a good hefty dose of that whiskey to put on top of a hot dog with some grainy mustard and a bunch of pickly things, you know, you got to throw the sport peppers in there. And of course it's got to be on a poppy seed bun. There's rules to these hot dogs in those parts, but I'm going to break it slightly with the whiskey stewed onions as my addition. So yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. We'll, we'll need to, we need the, we need the Vienna sausages. We need to make this happen very soon. I've never had whiskey stewed onions before. Really? Yeah. Well, not that, not, not to my knowledge. I mean, if it was in something that they didn't put it on the menu, but I, I mean, I would think I would have noticed that taste. Yeah. Well, I, I would say just as a condiment, if you need something quick and simple and delicious to pair with any type of meat or fish or even veggies, if you just saute, if you get like, especially good sweet onion, like a Vidalia onion um, or a Walla Walla onion. Ooh, a Walla Walla. Walla Walla Washington onion? for that? Yes, that's, that's, that's where they are. Um, but if you slice them really thin and in a pan, you put a good amount of butter. Usually I cut it with a little bit of olive oil as well and just throw a ton. I mean, you can have a pot, a big pot filled with sliced onions. And if you just cook that over low heat and like let it cook down, it'll cook down and caramelize. And mm-hmm. I like to add a 
nice fat glug of whiskey. And then once it cooks down, all the sugars release and you get, you know, you get the booziness, you know, from the, from the whiskey and then put that on steak, put it on a burger, put it on a hot dog, put it on, like I said, put it on whatever. I mean, if you had like roasted Brussels sprouts or something and you tossed them with a whole bunch of these caramelized whiskey onions, then I, then I might actually like Brussels sprouts. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good time. So yeah, so it's it's just a fun way to, you know, add add booze into our um, you know, our our weekly dinners. This totally makes me feel like I should go to the races now and the next time we go, have you come and bring that and then we can just pile it on the hot dogs because it's just I don't know, just something about what you're just describing to me. I it brought me into the to the racing arena. I am a full fan of BYOC, bring your own condiments. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, somewhat recently, I had a hot dog and the, and where I got the dog um, only offers ketchup and mustard. What? Display- they don't, they don't offer any of the other things. It was things. not pinks. You did not go to pinks. I can tell no, you No, no, no. I did. It, it was, <laughs> it was not pinks. It was not pinks. Um, but Fear not because I roll with condiments. Knowing this, I'm like, well, I have pickled, like homemade pickled chilies in my refrigerator. I have this, I've been making a fermented hot sauce that's pretty bomb that I've been kind of putting on everything these days. I brought the sauerkraut. I'm like, I'll, I'll bring my own condiments. If you're not nice. going to provide them for me, that's not a problem. So the whiskey onions would be part of that. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Louise, this is great. I really can't wait to try this because as I said, I've never, ever even knew it was an, a thing. Um, and so I can't wait to try it. And next time we go to the races, you bring the condiments, I'll get the hot dogs. And uh, until next time, have a great, have a great week, have a great couple of weeks. And uh, we'll see you next time with our next whiskey. That sounds great. Cheers. For show notes on today's episode, please visit www.barrelroomchronicles.com. If you like what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. If you really liked it and want to show your support, buy us a whiskey through our Kofi site. If you work in the whiskey industry or run a whiskey bar or club, and you'd like to be featured on Barrel Room Chronicles, register to be a guest through our website. Thanks for joining me. And until next time, Salonjava. Barrel Room Chronicles is a production of First Real Entertainment and is distributed by Anchor FM and is available on Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Amazon, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.